You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 this morning. If you have those hardback black Bibles, we are on page 911. 911. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. As you uh, turn there this morning, let me share with you um, a story. Uh, in 1930, German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer came to America. And he came to America to begin his teaching fellowship at Union Seminary in New York. Within months of his arrival, he wrote the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, I have made a mistake in coming to America. Um, There's more. I must live through this difficult period in our nation with the Christian people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this time with my people. Bonhoeffer, in the next year, would return to Germany There, Bonhoeffer would be an outspoken critic of Hitler and the Nazis over the next 11 to 12 years. And in 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested. And two years later, weeks before the Allies took Berlin, he was executed. This moment in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, the decision to leave a good job, to leave the safety of another country, to be in New York, and to return to Berlin took an incredible amount of courage. But to return to Berlin knowing that he must oppose the Nazi regime and speak the gospel truth to an ever-increasingly nationalistic society would take incredible boldness. This boldness was not something that Bonhoeffer was unfamiliar with. He had seen this kind of Holy Spirit-empowered boldness on the pages of Holy Scripture. In Acts chapters 3 and 4, he saw for him modeled how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the way Christians should live in light of the resurrection. And with that Spirit-infused boldness, we turn to Acts chapter 4. This morning. Read with me from the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 4. And they were speaking to the people, they being Peter and John. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard about the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all, 
of you and all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and, ch- and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were against were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We will stop there this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh God, Early in the morning, we cry to you, help us to pray and to consecrate our thoughts on you. Father, we can't do this alone. In us, there is darkness, but with you, there is light. We are lonely, but you don't leave us. We are feeble in heart, but with you, there's help. We are restless, but with you, there is peace. In us, there is bitterness, but with you, there is patience. We admit we don't understand your ways, but you know the way for us. So Father, show us the way this morning through your word. Amen.
This morning, uh, we've entitled this sermon, Boldness. We're going to look at boldness in three ways. It's three points, and they're alliterated. You're welcome. <laughs> Convinced, constrained, and compelled. Convinced, constrained, and compelled. Peter and John were convinced men. To convince means capable of causing someone to believe that something is true or real. Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry convincing people of the truth of who he is. He spent particular effort convincing the 12 disciples of who he was. I'm reminded of the, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16. And when I was in Israel a couple of years ago, uh, we went to Caesarea Philippi to this location where Jesus would have sat with his 12. And short, shameless plug, there is a Israel trip in 2022. You should sign up for that. You can find that more information on our website. <laughs> but we sat um, in this alcove of trees. And we read Matthew chapter 16 together, where Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? All of Jesus' miracles, all of his teaching was to reveal the fact that Jesus was the long-awaited-for Messiah, that he was God in flesh, that he was the salvation the world had been waiting for. Peter responds to Jesus in that moment with divine clarity. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here, in chapter 4, in the book of Acts, we continue as we um, lead through this narrative from last week. Uh, if you missed last week's sermon, go check that out online. Um, this narrative of Peter and John, as they were on their way to the temple to pray at the, the ninth hour, or three o'clock in the afternoon, they came across this man who had been lame his whole life. He was unable to stand or walk. His feet were, and his legs were were in essence useless to him. He was sitting by the main gate going into the Jewish-only section of the Temple Mount. And he was sitting there asking for alms, asking for those to support him. And this was a very common practice and something that the Jewish people did really well to take care of each other. And he would have been, therefore, outside of the gates called beautiful in the Gentile court. And the Gentile court was about five football fields large. That's a sermon for another day. It was huge, right? Lots of people in that area. And when they met this man, Peter said to him, we have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And reaching down his hand, Peter lifted up the man, and immediately this man's Legs and feet were strengthened, and he stood. And not only that, he, he walked. And not only that, he leaped around. And it was, as I've been thinking about this, I'm like, you know, it, it, the scriptures say that he leaped around like a deer. I don't know many people, I'm sure there's some of you here, that would be described as being able to leap around like a deer. Not descriptive of me, right? So not only did Jesus, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heal this man, but healed him in such a way where like, his legs were really working well, right? So he leaped around. These events of healing of this man was monumental. It was, it was uncommon 
This man, as we would come to read in verse 22, was 40 years old. He was a man who would have been placed in this exact location for much of his adult life to receive alms. He was well known to the worshipers of Jerusalem. So his healing would cause a great stir. The stir and the events surrounding it would bring about the attention of the priests, the temple guards, and the Sadducees, as we read in verse 1. Scripture tells us that the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees were greatly annoyed. Not necessarily at the man's healing, but as we'll see later, but in whose name the healing was performed in. The message of Peter and John, namely the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 2. Peter and John had a boldness in their message because of the resurrection of Jesus. Peter and John believed in the power of the resurrection, and they believed that that message was not just for them, but for all those who would hear it. As Romans 1.16 would say, uh, the message of the resurrection is the power of God to save for the Jew first and then the Greek. Peter and John were convinced because they themselves had seen the resurrected Christ. They were there to see the empty tomb, and as John would tell us in his gospel, he got there first. They were there when the resurrected Christ appeared on the shore to feed them. And they were there when Christ ascended into heaven. Peter and John were also convinced in the resurrection power because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, dwelled in them. They were convinced of his power, which is why Peter would be able to say what he said on the day of Pentecost. They saw how God would work miraculously through the 120 other disciples to share the message of the resurrection miraculously through the tongues, the native tongues of men um, who were there on that day. They were convinced even further by the 3,000 that would profess Christ as the Messiah. Peter and John were convinced that Jesus was the long-awaited for one who would crush the head of the serpent, who would reign as the promised king of his people, and who would come again. Peter and John were convinced men who were therefore living in light of all that they had seen and heard. But they weren't the only convinced person in that moment. The lame man, too, was convinced. Not because he had seen the miracles that Jesus did in person, not because he had seen the resurrected Christ, but because of the testimony of Peter and John and through his own experience with that power. The resurrection power of Jesus was experienced by this man in this miracle. His legs and feet, for the first time in his life, were strengthened to where he could stand on his own. He could walk on his own, but it really wasn't ever on his own. It was a gift from God. And many of us in this room would consider ourselves convinced people, convinced of the resurrection power of Jesus. Although none of us were there when Christ was raised or when he ascended into heaven, many of us have seen and experienced the goodness of God nonetheless. We've experienced the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. We've seen God work powerfully in our lives and in the lives of others. 
Some of us may have even experienced healing ourselves or seen God miraculously heal others. Many of us have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as we read Holy Scripture, we're even more convinced of who Christ is and what he has come to do for his people. And it's our hope for each of you this day that it's just not the power of a good argument or because it's popular or expected that you believe in Jesus, but that his spirit would convince you that he is good, that his goodness has led you to repentance and faith. It's our hope for you, dear friend, that the words of Jesus in John 20, 29 would be true when he said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who believe and yet do not see. Because we, we know, and you know, that a good argument or convenience or expectations will only take you so far. Many of us have experienced that. We've experienced the fact that, that the real test of belief is opposition. It's easy to be convinced of something when it's convenient or easy to do so. But true belief is tested with, op- with opposition. It is tested with conflict. So what happens when what we are convinced of comes with critique? When it comes with condemnation? When it comes with persecution? What happens when we are convinced of something and then all of a sudden that convinced thing becomes constrained? So we'll look secondly at constrained. You see, there are constraints all around us. There are constraining factors all around us. Things that will inhibit us, repress us, or even embarrass us. These factors are both internal and external They come from the fear of man, the sin of the world, the weakness of our own flesh, and even by demonic forces. If we were to summarize these three, we would say that the world, the flesh, and the devil constrain us. As we read, Peter and John face forces that desire to constrain and restrict their preaching of the gospel and the power of the resurrection. The miraculous healing of the lame man quickly brought about the attention of uh, these three uh, groups. The, the Levites who were working to care for the temple and sacrifices. The captain of the temple guard who may have also been part of the temple guard who went to arrest Jesus just weeks prior. Peter and John may have even had a flashback, possibly remembering their own actions in that moment. Peter fighting with a sword and John running away. And then there was the Sadducees, who were a very politically tied, therefore very powerful group of uh, leaders. Uh, They were tied in with the Romans. Uh, They came to stop yet another incident in the court of the Gentiles. Peter and John may have even uh, been recognized by them or may have recognized them uh, of those being with Jesus when the money-changing tables were flipped over. You see, these Sadducees uh, would have been particularly annoyed with the message of Peter and John. Because at the core of their message of, uh, of, of the apostles was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The theologian John Stott in his commentary on the book of Acts says this, Theologically, 
the Sadducees believed that the Messianic age had begun with the Maccabean period. So the, the coming of the Messiah came with the Maccabean period, which was a couple hundred years prior to these events. So they were not looking for a Messiah. They also, the Sadducees, denied the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, which the apostles proclaimed in Jesus. So they didn't believe that the resurrection was possible. So for them, this preaching was heresy. They, uh, the rejection of miracles, and especially the resurrection, uh, is not an uncommon thing for people to deny in our day. There are many people who would deny it, uh, not just the resurrection, but even the presence of any miracles in the Bible. Many critical scholars and one group in particular in recent years called the Jesus Seminars was a group of scholars who would reject any existence of miracles in the Bible and actually went through and edited the Bible based off of probability of occurrence. They gave each passage a bead color and then based off that color was the probability of it actually happening. They would have given this really bad marks. The Sadducees were greatly annoyed, not just about the message of Jesus' resurrection, but the message that Peter and John would have been preaching was the fact that not only Jesus would resurrect, but those in Christ would rise again. You see, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he is the first fruit of the resurrection. And this, for us as Christians, is a key tenet of our faith, that those who are in Christ will experience eternal life. And then in the new heavens and the new earth, the dead in Christ will rise. Their annoyance with Peter and John was not without consequence. They weren't simply standing over in the corner, rolling their eyes and waiting for them to quit talking. In fact, their actions and their message grated so much against the Sadducees, as we read in verse 3, that they had them arrested and they would be tried by the Sanhedrin. Peter and John, and most likely the lame man, were all, were all thrown together in jail. And we can't miss this parallel. We can't miss the fact that uh, we shouldn't expect the world to treat us any differently than our Savior. Like the arrest of Jesus, Peter and John were thrown in jail. And on the next day, taken before the Sanhedrin, a group of 71 leaders in the Jewish community, including Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and tribal leaders. You see, those who profess Christ will be constrained. This is not theoretical. This is not probable. It's fact. Jesus actually said to him, himself in John 15, verse 18, in the following, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me first, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. For Christians, there have been and will be obvious moments of persecution, of censorship, of hatred, that which Bonhoeffer himself experienced. We will have to choose either to keep our message to ourselves, to not stir the pot, to, to live to fight another day, or we'll have to choose to go back to Berlin. There were not so obvious moments, too, for us and for, I'm sure, the disciples. Moments that are rather subtle in the life of every believer to either say something or not. 
These moments, although subtle, are important. Whether at work or at school or with your neighbors or standing on the sideline of your kid's sports team, these moments will come where you will be able to speak gospel truth into someone's life. And you know these moments. If you are a Christian, you know these moments. You can feel the tension. You can feel it welling up inside of you. Sometimes you even feel the regret of a missed opportunity. Maybe you too, friends, feel this constraint in your life. You feel handcuffed to silence, pressed down by societal pressures, crushed by the weight of a culture, and then choosing to capitulate, to not create too much noise. Rather than believing our feelings and fears, Christians, we must trust the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it dwells inside of each one of us, giving us that boldness. Because we know, as we've seen from Peter and John, one ran, one fought, and then would later deny Jesus three times. But here we see Peter and John standing before this council, men who were in their weakness, not able to stand up against anyone, were able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the boldness of the truth that they have, because of the resurrection of Jesus, be able to speak the truth. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ must compel us to step out in our faith. And let me remind you, friends, that you are filled with this same Holy Spirit that filled Peter and John, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Holy Spirit who in previous generations put on flesh to dry bones is the same Holy Spirit that worked miraculously to bring life to this man's lame legs. Dear friends, be convinced this day that this is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in you. It is a, not a lesser version. You didn't get the knockoff. It is the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead who dwells in you. May we be compelled, like Peter and John, when asked by the Sanhedrin, by what power or by what name did you do this? May we be compelled to speak the truth in this moment, to stand boldly and preach the good news of the gospel because we are compelled. So third and finally, compelled. Peter had two responses. Peter and John had two responses here to the Sanhedrin. In his initial response, Peter answered, and almost what comes across is shock. Like, this is, this is all you're going to ask us. You put us in jail, and you're asking us by what power, or by what, what name we did this? Oh. What power or what name? He says, we are being examined to, by a good deed that we did. We did a good deed, and now you're, you're just asking us, okay, here we go. So, by the means of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, by him, the cornerstone that you rejected, for there is no other name or saving power in which men can be saved. Only the name of Jesus. This is the third time that Paul, um, that Peter would use this response, talking about whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Sometimes, friends, in our responses to people, they may sound very similar. They may sound like a broken record, but it is a broken record playing the greatest song of all time. 
we have the greatest message of all time. And let this message, this truth, this exclusivity of salvation brought about through Christ never escape us. May it never get old. Let it always challenge our hearts and and allow us opportunity to examine our lives. That it is not our works that save us. It is the work of Christ and Christ alone who saves us. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. There is no other way. And that is very good news. It provides clarity, it provides opportunity, and it gives us a picture of who God is. Even the Sanhedrin were astonished by the boldness of Peter and John. And when they saw that they were uneducated common men, and common men in the Greek there is idiotai, guess what word comes from that? But there was something unique and distinct about these common, uneducated men. Something that they had seen before, even weeks prior. Their boldness and their understanding of the fulfillment of Scripture meant one thing. It meant they had been with Jesus. They were people who radiated the teaching and the boldness of Christ himself. And may that be said of us, friends. You don't need to go to Bible college or seminary to speak with boldness the message of the gospel. You have, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, everything you need. And so how did the Sanhedrin respond to this? They wanted them to speak no further of Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. Uh, They couldn't refudiate the miracle that happened. They couldn't change what had been done. They knew that this news had spread about to all people. We know through the testimony of Scripture that another 2,000 men came to confess Jesus as Messiah. So right now we're around 5,000 men as the head count. So many, many more beyond that. And this response from the Sanhedrin was a warning, but we know that that warning would not uh, persist as the only way of dealing with this message. We know that later on, persecution against the church would increase. But in this moment, they warned them no longer to preach the gospel. Peter and John then responded even with more boldness, pledging their allegiance to Christ and the message that they had been entrusted with. They basically said, who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow God or or follow you? And you you decide on that one. But for us, we've got to preach this message. We are a compelled people. Our first allegiance is to Christ. Christian, this is our only allegiance is to Christ and to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. This is what we have been entrusted with. This is the good news. This is the hope of the world is this message. You see, God gave them a boldness to push back both against the darkness, bring glory to himself, but also to encourage the saints. You see, when Peter and John left the Sanhedrin, they went immediately to their friends. 
Maybe even coming along with them was this no longer lame man to report all that was happened. And their report was met not with fear, not with questioning of maybe we should, maybe we should listen to the Sanhedrin and not preach the gospel, but with praise. See, this is a picture, one commentator said, of really what true fellowship, what true koinonia fellowship is. The church responds to what the sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, has done. Much of like what we are doing this morning, we are rejoicing because of and in the power of the resurrection. We know that Gentiles will rage. We know that people will plot. We know that kings of the earth will set themselves against Christ and Christ's people. And God's people will still persevere. We will continue to praise. We will continue to tell people of the good news. We will continue to see God work in our day. Men and women will come to know and worship Jesus as Lord. This is happening here. This is also happening all around the world. In countries where Christianity is legal, illegal, where meetings such as ours would be illegal and lead to some of us, if not all of us, being arrested. But the church must and will persevere in this. We must gather. We must tell of what God has done. We must sing to him. We must rejoice. We must partake of the table. We must hear the word of God preached. And we will pray for more boldness to do so. We ask God would look upon those who, as Peter and and John would say, who would threaten the message. But we don't wish them destruction. When we're feeling this constraint from the places in which we feel that, we don't wish those people destruction. As Peter and John would go on to say, as the church would begin to proclaim, we pray for them instead. We don't wish their ill. We ask for more boldness for ourselves. We ask that their souls would be saved, that the testimony of what we have said would impact them. We would ask that these fellow image bearers of God would come to know and worship him as God. We need to look closely, friends, in a day of of people who just, I mean, let's be honest, the tensions in our world and time and place could not be more present. But look closely at how the people responded to the threats of the Sanhedrin. Look closely at how the apostles responded to persecution. Look how Christ himself responded. Not a prayer for the persecution even to end, but for more boldness amidst the persecution. And that is a bold prayer. It's a bold prayer to pray for more boldness, for the good of those who would persecute you. It's a bold prayer. It's a prayer modeled by Christ himself. Will you pray for that kind of boldness? Will you pray for the souls of those whom you feel threatened by, who feel like are oppressing you? Will you not wish for their ill, but pray for their good? And if you do, you must pray for more boldness. You see, our prayer for you 
is that you would be convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for its power to save not just for you, but for those whom you love and those whom you need to love. See, we know that constraint will happen. Opposition will happen. Persecution will happen. But we, as God's people, must be compelled to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And we must pray for more boldness to do so. So let's pray even now for that. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, grant to your people confidence, conviction, and boldness. Give us an endurance, Lord. Increase our faith, our hope, and our love. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.